Hello, will you join me in the washroom here on Search for Truth with your Bible study teacher, of course, who's Brian Johnston. To explain, we're continuing our series of studies in the upper room where Brian focuses on the final hours of the Lord Jesus, which he spent in that upper room with his disciples before he went to his death on the cross. Now, Brian's called this series No Room for Doubt. And today, as I said, we're considering the upper room as the washroom. So let's join the disciples and Brian now as we enter. Yes, into the washroom. Thanks, John. I should point out that when we say washroom, we mean it in a literal sense, a room where washing takes place, and perhaps not in the modern usage in some countries. Jesus' followers had been debating among themselves as to who was the greatest. As they filed into the upper room in Jerusalem that evening, in readiness to celebrate the Jewish Passover, no one among them, it seems, was prepared to yield position and take the lowest place of washing each other's feet. That was, after all, the task reserved for the household servant. The problem was, as far as we can tell, the only persons in that room were the twelve disciples, and Jesus, no one else, so there was no household servant to perform the menial task. It was going to have to be one of them. But who was going to give in? Perhaps it was like the children's game of seeing who's going to blink first. Did they avoid looking at the basin of water and towel already placed there in readiness? Its silent presence accused their consciences, I'm sure. Perhaps it might have seemed best to try to act as if they hadn't seen it. This would be the most significant Passover anniversary ever kept, and these men were not in a fit state of mind to observe it. In any case, what happened next was shocking. John writes of how Jesus poured water into that basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realise right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was for this reason that he said, Not all of you are clean. Then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher. And Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. John 13, verses 5 to 17. The foot washing 
was such a humble task for any man to perform for other men. But here in the room was the unique person who was both God and man. And he was the one taking upon himself this most basic duty. Just as we talk about amazing grace, we can also surely talk about amazing humility. The spotlight now falls on Peter. Was he the first to have his feet washed? Or merely the first to break the tense, awkward and embarrassed silence? He manages to stammer out, Are you really going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him that Peter didn't understand what he, Jesus, was doing. Not yet, but he'd understand later on. That's a bit difficult to figure out because minutes later, Jesus gave some explanation of it. But it would take time for the penny to drop. Time, that is, for full understanding to be reached. And maybe not until Peter came to write his first Bible letter, but more on that later. What we've got to is that in the upper room in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus clothed himself with a towel and pouring water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet. Peter's reluctance to have this done for him brings out for us, through the dialogue that Jesus had with him, the truth that such washing is necessary if communion with the Lord is to be enjoyed. Once for all, we've been bathed. Christ has cleansed us from the old life, but we need constant application day by day to remain undefiled from the contamination of this world. We cannot enjoy any real sharing with Christ without it. Holiness is required if we are to see the Lord, Hebrews 12 verse 14. I hope it will be worth trying to set out the Bible's teaching about what happens at our salvation and following it. The Bible teaches us that we are justified by blood judicially. Romans 5 verse 9, we are justified by blood. That's something that happens once for all. There's no ongoing aspect, nor is there any need for that. But alongside that, the Bible also teaches that we are sanctified by water morally. In this regard, there's an ongoing aspect. Water is used biblically to represent both the Spirit in John chapter 7 and the Word in Ephesians chapter 5. And our sanctification is by the Spirit in 2 Thessalonians 2 and also by the Word in Ephesians 5. To clarify what I'm saying, sanctification by water is not only once for all, but this moral cleansing is also ongoing. We may almost say blood cleanses us judicially and gives us a right standing before God. And water cleanses us morally by setting us apart from the old life in which we once lived and brings us into the new. Now, we said we'd return to the point of when Peter understood what had just happened in the upper room. Jesus explained there and then that he'd set them an unforgettable example of how they and we should each be prepared to undertake the most menial or humble duties for each other and with a blessing promised if we actually do this. But the full impact on Peter only shows up later, when in Peter's letters he uses the words clothe and example. Let's listen to these quotes. You younger men, he says, 
Likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares about you. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 7. There, Peter was talking to church elders. The younger men among them were to be subject to the older men, and they were to manage their stress levels by not taking any responsibility that's properly the Lord's. But the main point was that they were to be clothed with humility, with no room for pride. Yes, Peter has learnt the lesson from that dramatic night in the upper room. His memory of what happened there even shapes his vocabulary here, I suggest, as he talks about being clothed with humility. Earlier, in that same first letter of his, Peter has directed everyone's attention to Christ. He's been talking about how at times we might suffer unjustly. He tells us that it finds us favour with God if we endure the injustice patiently. It's at that point he directs us to the supreme example of someone who did exactly that in the most extreme of circumstances. He says, For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21. The life of Jesus Christ is far more than an example for us, but it is that. He's left us the perfect example of how we're to face up to mistreatment in this life. Back then to what actually happened in the upper room when Jesus washed the feet of all his followers. Should we adopt ritual foot washing? Did the Lord intend us to do exactly the same as he'd done? No, the Lord didn't command us to do this specifically. Unlike shortly after, when we come to read of him establishing the ordinance of bread and wine. By way of contrast, the foot washing is described as an example and not commanded of us as an ordinance that can in any way be counted alongside the communion table and our water baptism. The Bible letters that follow the Gospels give us more detail and more explanation regarding these ordinances, but nothing more is said about foot washing. In looking at different aspects of the upper room in this series of studies, we find ourselves now, as it were, leaving the washroom, and our next study will see us entering the dining room.
I remind you again that there's a book of all the talks in this series and you can obtain a copy by downloading it at churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Another way to get it is by writing to us to ask for a hard copy book to be posted to you. Just ask for the book title, No Room for Doubt, and be sure to tell us your postal address. You can use email or the post, and first here's our postal address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So thanks once more for the privilege of your company today, and I hope you'll be able to join me again next time when, as Brian said, we'll be visiting the dining room. But now I must say goodbye and leave you with very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian. Producer David, our singers, and me, of course, John. So see you again soon. Take care, and we wish you God's richest blessings. Oh,